0: Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 35. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus came out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So even in Israel, Jesus is facing his objectors. He's facing resistance. But he's still been in Israel. In this story, he leaves Israel. This is the first story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus goes to the other side, where he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are Jewish people who live on that other side, as there are Jewish people who live all throughout the Roman Empire. They've been scattered everywhere. But he's going into Gentile territory. And the first thing that happens is a storm rages. Now, the disciples, at least four of them, were fishermen, and they made their living on the Sea of Galilee. So they're not going to be strangers to storms. Even today, the Sea of Galilee, because of the topography of the region, it's a very shallow lake in a very deep and strange geographical location. And so storms are common on the Sea of Galilee, even today. Furious storms, and it can happen in a moment. So these, at least four of the disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, were fishermen, and they would have been familiar with life on the Sea of Galilee. So if they thought they were going to die, This is quite a storm. And this storm is so furious that they believe the ships are going to be swamped and destroyed. And through this whole thing, Jesus is simply sleeping. And so they wake him up and say, don't you care? And this is where the storm gets interesting. When Jesus gets up and wakes up, he rebukes, the text tells us, the wind. And he said to the waves, quiet, be still. We've heard that language before in the Gospel of Mark, if you've been with us through this series. It happened in the synagogue. The first time Jesus went there and a man who was demon possessed stood up and Jesus rebuked him, the text says, and said, be quiet. Matter of fact, that's the formula every time Jesus casts out a demon. He rebukes it and then he says, be quiet. And that's what he does to this storm. I want you to get a picture of what is happening in this story. For the people of Israel, the the forces of evil have permeated Gentile society, non-Jewish society. They are everywhere in Gentile society. Matter of fact, in some of the uh, prophets, Isaiah comes immediately to mind, Gentiles are to be associated with demon possession. So we've been shocked so far into the story to find out that there are demons in Israel. But we would not be surprised at all to find out that there are demons outside of Israel in the world of the Gentiles. And Jesus, by crossing over into Gentile territory, he is invading the territory of evil. He's invading the territory of evil. And so evil tries to keep him out. And this storm is kicked up to try and prevent him from crossing over to the other side. And Jesus casts out that storm the same way he casts out demons in the Gospel of Mark, which gives us a sense that this storm in itself for Mark was demonic. One of the things we have forgotten, and I think much to our detriment, is that evil is very hard to define. But the Christian scriptures give us a sense of what it is. And evil is not just things we do, though in some way the things we do participate with evil. But evil is personal in the scriptures. It's a personal force. Paul will say in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Evil is personal. Now, They describe that in terms of demons and and demon possession. And that is legitimate language. Because how else do you describe the personal aspect of evil? That people can be so touched by it, so participate with it, that they lose their will to it. We struggle with this still. Evil is more than a person, you or me. It's a force. The assumption of Israel is that the demons hold much more sway outside of Israel than they do within it. And so as Jesus leaves, the storm throws up. And that's just the first line of defense. The second line is a legion of demons waiting on the shore to stop him from coming in. That's military language. A legion could be 6,000 soldiers. They are cast out into 2,000 pigs. But let's just say a lot of demons do not want Jesus leaving Israel. A lot of demons do not want Jesus leaving Israel. So Jesus invades the territory of evil. And then he invades a stronghold of evil, this man. And we talk about what is sin. We've talked about this, right? What is evil? We've been throwing it around. What is it? What is sin? And you can talk about that esoterically, right? We can bring definitions. I've tried to argue with you that sin is biblically self-centeredness. It's the self turned in on itself. It's self-obsession. That's a long tradition in the church to define sin that way. It goes back at least to 400 A.D. But that's just a definition. That doesn't mean anything, right? The beauty of Mark is that we get to see the final result of sin in the flesh. In this demoniac. This man is about as riddled with evil as a human being, could be riddled. And in his character, we see what evil is, what it wants to do. You see, in Israel, evil is sort of mitigated. Like, you have Pharisees who clearly are participating with evil insofar as they're attacking Jesus. But they're not thoroughgoing in their commitment to evil. They're not thoroughly possessed by the persona of evil. And so they they sort of are dilly-dallying with evil, and that looks pretty safe. In that kind of a situation, it's very hard to tell what evil's agenda is. But when you see evil in its full power and force, you see what its intentions are. See, what evil looks like at first is it looks like freedom. And we see that in this man. No one can chain him. That's the same story Satan told us in the Garden of Eden when he said that if you disobey, you will be like God and you will be free. And for this man, it really did look like freedom. Nobody could chain him. But it's a different kind of freedom, isn't it? Than the freedom we hunger for. And so as Jesus comes to this man, we find out something about evil. First, evil looks like freedom. But evil has an intent. Remember that definition I gave you that Sin is self-obsession. Look at how that plays out in the life of this man. Sin begins by looking like freedom. But even in this guy, do you notice the focus on himself? All of us have to be somewhat introspective. We have to evaluate ourselves, ask ourselves, why did I do that? What made me do that? How am I going to avoid doing that again in the future? Do I like myself? Do I?" Those are normal questions. But sin begins to make those questions... The core of who we are and we become overly fixated with our own inner workings that's what we call today psychosis the scriptures call it sin and you begin to consume yourself you begin to eat yourself alive sin and this man is a picture of where that road goes He has become so self-obsessed that his self-love has turned to self-hate. Do you see? He's cutting himself. He's injuring himself. He's harming himself. So the self-love now has become so fixated on itself that it becomes self-hate. And then he becomes self-destructive. And he begins to be such a pain to his entire world that they put him out. And the black hole that he is consumes every inch of his humanity. And he becomes nothing more than a beast, than an animal living among the dead. This is what sin wants to do to you. You might think you can tame it, but the scriptures consistently insist that that leads to one road and you will not tame this lion. It will have you. And so Jesus comes to this man who is so thoroughgoingly committed to sin that he has been populated by the personal forces of evil to the extent that he is barely human anymore. But what happens when Jesus confronts this guy? He invades a stronghold of evil. And he sets about freeing a captive of evil. The first thing Jesus does is he requires the evil to name itself. What is your name? And he said, I am legion, for there are many. This guy isn't just one force of evil. This guy is thousands of forces of evil. And you think that that might make Jesus back down. But he doesn't. It's Legion who begs that Jesus not torment him. And he tries to control Jesus. Swear to me in the name of your God that you will not torture me. Right? He tries to control him. But there is no way. This is verse 10. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits went out and went into the pigs. First thing Jesus does with this man is he, he names the evil. He forces the evil to name itself. And then Jesus personalizes the evil. He talks with it. He has a conversation with the evil. And the evil says, don't destroy me. Can I I at least have a little control of where I go? And you think Jesus would say, "What? you don't get to negotiate with me. Be gone. But he doesn't. He negotiates with it. All right. Go into the pigs. Which is just a short stop on the way to oblivion, but at least it gets them into the water. (laughs) And then they went out into the pigs and they were drowned. And this man sits at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. And insane which is another way to say unpolluted the evil has been driven out and the people from his town when they come and see that I love these guys because they are thoroughly in control of the powers of evil they're not they're not sitting there going wow this guy was possessed even this guy was destructive look at him he's healed they don't think praise God like the Jewish people did they think what happened to our pigs leave This man's healing was not complete at that point. He's still selfish. The same root that caused that possession to begin with still exists. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to leave his home and follow Jesus. Of course he does. Jesus healed him. And Jesus seems to understand something about this man. He will never be free until he stops thinking about himself. Until he is given a task and a mission that's about somebody else. If sin is self-obsession, and St. Augustine was right about that, he's reading stories like this, very intuitive. Jesus recognizes that the self has to be turned off itself. Even salvation... Even freedom can become an avenue through which sin finds its way back in. Jesus says to him, you get these verses here at the end. The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. We hope that Jesus will be the fulfillment of our dreams. That's the problem in Israel. And this man that the demons are cast out of has the same desire to follow Jesus for the miracles. But Jesus sends him out. And this man does it. He goes away and he begins to preach. Decapolis is just a summary statement for the ten major cities of that region. Decapolis just means ten cities. He goes to all ten cities and tells them what Jesus has done for him. Now he's free. He's free because his self-centeredness has been named. He found the root of his evil, legion. His evil was discussed and fleshed out with Jesus, and Jesus decided how best to deal with it. And then his self-centeredness was turned outward, and he was sent to work for Jesus on behalf of others, rather than focusing the world on himself. The gravity of self was broken, and he's free. And interestingly enough, he becomes the first missionary that Jesus sends out in the Gospels. Paul's not the first apostle to the Gentiles. Legion is. We don't even know his name. But he sent out and he paves the way for the Gospel to come into Gentile territory. This demoniac transformed. Jesus will set us free. It sometimes doesn't happen overnight. Evil has to be named. And I think psychology has demonstrated this over the last hundred years, that it is so helpful to freedom to know why you are how you are. Evil has to be negotiated with. We have to face it head on and have a conversation with it. But then in the end, only God can take that last step that goes from the good and necessary foundation to freedom. And it is that miraculous step of the Holy Spirit to take the eye turned in on itself and make it look outward and care about others the way it cares about itself. That step is freedom. And so freedom looks like, for this passage, and I think it looks this way through the whole gospel, which is why I'm making such a point of it. Freedom looks like serving others. Freedom looks like taking the eye off of our reflection in the mirror and looking out at the needs of the world around us. This is freedom. Now, it's counterintuitive, right? Freedom should be autonomy. It should be the willingness and ability to say, I'm my own person. No one can tell me what to do. My freedom. You're on the way to legion. You're on the way. That's the way that that leads. Real freedom comes in laying down our rights. In sacrificing the rights we have for the sakes of others. Our willingness to serve, not to be served. Jesus said it this way. He who wishes to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven should become the servant of all. It's about others. It's about others. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgive those who sin against you. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone asks you to go with him one mile, go with him too. If someone sues you for your cloak, give to him your tunic as well. This is freedom. All else is the realm of the demonic. It's the face of evil.